From Guelph, Ontario, this is The Smart Seed, and I am Leanne Shaken. Let's say it's July in Saskatchewan. At this particular time, I would have been working for a local farmer who lived about an hour outside of the city. And on this day, before I headed out to the farm, I had to make a delivery drop-off at one of the local organic grocery stores in the city. I would have been dressed in my farm gear, so dirt-stained jeans with holes in it, uh, my hiking boots, a flannel shirt, and a raggedy baseball cap. I walk into the store to be greeted by a supremely bubbly manager. Um, And when I walked in, she gave me a massive hug. And and she probably would have been like, oh, hello, how are you? And she probably didn't notice the invisible bubble that is usually around me. Anyway, she gave me a big hug. And she asked me, oh, are you heading out to the farm? And I said, yes. Yeah, this is my last drop-off, and then I'm going on my way. And she said, well, you know what? We just got this product in. And, you know, have you ever tried coconut water before? And I was just like, no, I can't say that I have. And she's like, well, you know what? It's super amazing for hydrating. Like, totally better than water or Gatorade drinks. Like, just give it a try for today because I'm sure it's really hot outside and you're, you're going to need it. And I was just, and I'm usually pretty good at saying no to things, but I was like, you know, I need to go down my way. And I'm like, sure, I'll, I'll try it. She gave me the bottle of, of coconut water, had no idea how much it was, got into the car, took a look at the receipt. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, I spent almost $4 on this tiny little bottle of coconut water. There's a reason why I tell stories prior to getting into the crux of my subject. And it's because I want these stories to illuminate the reality of our food industry. And here's a perfect example. I was working on a farm. What I would do is on Monday mornings, I would drive out an hour and a bit to the farm. I would pay $10 each night to sleep in a trailer on the farm. I got paid $12.50 an hour to do grueling work. And then every Thursday, I would come back to the city and I would make all these delivery drop-offs. And I would go to all of these stores that I was providing a product for and I could not afford what they were selling. I was and I am a part of the chain but I am not a recipient of what is produced by that chain. I can't afford it. Instead, I would go to Walmart every single week to buy the healthiest, cheapest food that I could get because that's all I could afford at the time. Anyway, back to the expensive coconut water. First thing was, didn't taste like coconuts to me. (laughs) And second, You know, it's a personal preference. It wasn't refreshing. And I would rather have had, not have spent the $4, and instead have had my water bottle. Anyway, this experience of me 
buying coconut water leads into what we will be talking about today. Today I will be highlighting the coconut industry and in particular the coconut industry within the Philippines which is the second largest exporter in the world of coconuts. And we are going to start our story with the coconut farmers and we are going to trace it all the way to us in our stores buying coconut water. Hopefully through this episode I can reveal some of the reasons why I'm particularly jaded about this industry. This week's episode is coconuts for you. Okie dokie. So, coconut farmers don't make a lot of money. In fact, on average, they make so little that I really should stop complaining about how much I make. Approximately 60% of small-scale coconut farmers live in poverty. They make anywhere between $70 to $7,000 per year. Wait, let's say that again, except this time a bit slower. They make anywhere between $70 to $7,000 per year. Poverty cannot be easily explained and definitely not easily solved. But to be sure, the system that coconut farmers find themselves in takes advantage of that poverty. The Philippines is the second largest producer of coconuts in the world, accounting for 26% of the world's production. Indonesia is number one. Most coconut farmers in the Philippines do not own their own land. They are, in fact, tenant farmers, and their landlords tend to be teachers, managers, military officers, and other professionals. And for the most part, these landlords are absent and know nothing about farming. The fact that most coconut farmers do not own their own land already places them at a disadvantage. First, most farmers are under agreement with their landlords to share in the profit. These type of agreements can vary from reasonable to outright exploitive. Second, because the farmers don't own their own land, that means that they have little to no assets or equity. Therefore, unlike most farmers in Canada, let's say, Filipino coconut farmers cannot use typical financial mechanisms, for instance, lines of credit, to reinvest in their farms and improve their profitability. Third, their reality limits their power in decision-making and negotiations. Because they're poor, coconut farmers usually have no say in investments in their industry or national programs. The plight of these farmers really came to light after Typhoon Haiyan damaged or destroyed more than 33 million coconut trees in the Philippines in 2013. Coconut farmers were stuck in limbo as there was no communication or agreement with their landlords concerning who would cover the costs of the cleanup. They did not have the necessary equipment to clean up the damage themselves even if they wanted to, and they were without any source of income or food. Quickly following the typhoon, international agencies urged the Filipino government to make wide-sweeping reforms in order to improve the situation. And one of these reforms had to do with a decades-long battle between the government and the coconut farmers. And it also highlights probably the main reason poverty can be so entrenched, and that reason is corruption. In 1971, the Filipino government enacted a law to establish the Coconut Investment Fund, a fund that was created to invest in the development of the coconut industry. Guess where they were going to get the money for this fund? Well, 
they were going to tax the coconut farmers. Not surprisingly at all, the money that was taken from the coconut farmers over a decade did not go into building up the industry. Instead, the president and his friends personally profited when they used the fund to buy a bank and other corporations in which the president and his friends held a majority stake. The issue is still ongoing today, with the farmers fighting for a share in the investments that was made with their money. There is currently $1.3 billion in the Coconut Levy Fund. The impoverished reality of coconut farmers cannot be more starkly contrasted to the seemingly overwhelming success of today's coconut industry. There is not just coconut oil, but there is cold-pressed raw coconut oil. There is coconut flour, coconut meat, coconut chips, coconut ice cream, coconut creamer, coconut milk, coconut hand wash, coconut shampoo, oh, and let's not forget, coconut water. There are so many coconut products out there that at one time I opened up my fridge, turned to my husband, and said, Honey, I think we're slowly turning into coconuts. As well, these coconut products are not cheap. So there is obviously money being made. But if not the farmers, then who is making the money? Unfortunately, due to decades of corruption, an archaic land ownership system, and remote geography, the farmers have little power and are at the whim of the middleman. And it's the middleman and the corporations near the end of the coconut food and beverage chain that are rolling in the dough. The middlemen purchase coconuts from coconut farmers for approximately 10 to 20 cents per coconut. So in one year, a coconut farmer can expect to make about $17 per coconut tree. That's not a lot, folks. The middleman then raises the price by 50% and sells the coconuts to factories for processing. It's in the processing where what the industry calls value-added products are made. Value-added basically means you're creating value out of something that previously had no value or little value, and coconut water is the ultimate value-added product. You see, just because you buy coconut water does not mean that demand for coconut rises and the prices of whole coconuts go up. The reason we in North America and Europe can even drink coconut water today is because of advancements in technology, which preserved coconut water for storage and shipping. Prior to these advancements, coconut water was just thrown out. So basically, because these companies created value out of nothing, all profits from coconut water goes to the beverage and food corporations, and none goes to the farmers. Then you wonder, at the very least, who are these corporations? Well, I'm not too sure if you want to hear this. The top three coconut water brands are Vita Coco, Zico, and One Coconut Water. Vita Coco is owned by Dr. Pepper Snapple Group. Zico is owned by Coca-Cola, and One is owned by Pepsi-Cola. Wrapped up in this messy chain of food, poverty, corruption, and multinational corporations is you. Why did I buy that expensive coconut water in the first place? Well, because I was told it was good for me. In fact, coconut water contains 97% water and only 3% nutrients. Sure, it's good for me, but I could also just drink some water and eat a fucking banana. Coconut water is health marketing at its finest, and we get so carried away with being healthy that when it comes to buying products, we forget about the all-too-important fair trade label. You know, that little label that tells us that the farmers are getting an A-OK deal? Yeah, that one. So the next time you browse the long line of coconut products, keep your cynicism in good working order, and don't let the pristine labels and nice-sounding words trump a simple label that tells you that what you are getting and what you are buying is a fair deal.
Thank you to the Blue Dot Sessions from the Free Music Archive for their music contributions. Source material for today's podcast can be found at my website, www.thesmartseed.ca. That's all for now. Stay curious, my friends.